We started chapter 3 last week. We'll try to finish it tonight. In the first part of chapter 3, Paul is warning them initially. Things are going well, but to be forewarned about things is to be forearmed. And Paul wanted them to be aware that there were three things that could take their joy as believers. Compromise, purity, and unity in the body of Christ. The dogs, the Gentiles, the group of false teachers, partly some of them would have also been the Judaizers. And uh, what are dogs? They're impure and they're unclean. People serving the Lord for their own end. So we have to be careful not to allow unclean people or unclean things into our lives that could defile us and steal our joy. Beware of evil workers, he tells them there in chapter, or verse 2 rather. These people who, we can't always discern their motives but or their intentions, but they're more concerned about themselves than they are you. As Paul said of many of the teachers, Paul actually said I sought you, not yours. And a lot of these guys were seeking stuff. They were really really concerned about the people. They were worried about what they could get from the people. So not much has changed. Beware of these kind of people, evil workers. And then the mutilation, of course, that would be the Judaizers, those that were trying to bring people under the law. He really gets kind of wild in the letter to the Galatians. I wish they would just cut it off. (laughs) You just got to love Paul, man. He just lets it fly. And he just says, you know, later on, these guys are actually enemies of the cross. We'll cover that tonight. And so these are things that can steal away your joy. And Paul's warning them. And then just... And I think this last part here, verses 12 through 21, really, in listening to it being read to the church. I think it would have set them back a little bit. And so I want to I'm going to explain that here. I'll unpack that in a bit here, but when I ask you a question, what are you focused on? In your spiritual life, what what are you looking to? What what is your ambition? What is your draw? What is your what do you want the most? What do you want of your life? These are so, strong questions that you have to ask yourself. And Paul is really describing what he's after, what's most important to him. And he he, he explains that there in the previous verses, that I might know him and be found in him and be made conformable to his death. This is incredible stuff. You know, he... He is saying, I want to be conformed into the image of Christ. This is what spiritual growth is all about. This is this upward and onward call that God has on our life. Anything, if we settle for, we can settle for less than that. In fact, there are those, as he will say in verse 17, that they're more concerned about themselves. And if you really 
have this pursuit, this upward call, it's, it's a little too radical. Don't, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know, you get people that, you know, all you want to do is go to church and read your Bible and that kind of thing. But I think this is important. We're, Paul is going to set them back with some of the words that he says because mo- for most of them, there was nobody more spiritual than Paul. There was nobody more dynamic than Paul in his ministry. And I, I would agree with them in their analysis. And so when you see someone who God raises up and uses, and we've seen this in our own lives, you know, with uh, some things that have happened in our own movement, uh, it's really easy to put people on a pedestal and to think that they're more than they really are. Because what in reality... What God is doing through that person says more about God than it does them, but we don't see it that way always. We think, well, it's something that they're actually responsible for. Not really. It's grace. It's always grace. It's always God. He simply loves his people. And he's going to work through whomever's willing to be used to reach people because he, he knows they need the word. He knows that they need his presence. And so this is an important aspect of our perspective. And so when Paul says to them in verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So he's putting to them, though they may have put him on a pedestal and think that he's like beyond everybody else's and, and you know, he's in the stratosphere spirituality wise. That no one in their congregation could ever attain to what Paul has. And then he says, he brings them right back down to earth and says, I have not attained. This is what I love about Paul. He's humble. He's honest. He, he knows himself. And he's not trying to pretend to be something that he's not. And this is a, a good, he's just being a, a good disciple, a good follower of Christ. You know, so what are you striving after? What are you looking for? What brings you fulfillment? You know, a lot of people that are billionaires, you know, it, it isn't the money. I mean, after a while, you once your needs are met, and of course, that doesn't include very many of us here. <laughs> you know, we're just barely, you know, hand to mouth, right? We We really can't relate to this. But imagine having so much money, and we can dream about this, <laughs> that... You don't have to worry about paying the bills. It's now, what do I do with my free time? What do I do with my life? I mean, I don't have to worry about bills. I have somebody else pay them for me and all the properties that I own, right? And I just, what do I want to do with my life? And so these people don't stop. Pers- it's the chase after. It's the apprehension. It's, that's, that's the thing that creates the adrenaline rush for them. And so I think Paul sort of had this when it come to his spirituality. This is really important to me because I, and this is what spiritual growth is really all about actually, that I might know him. Spiritual growth is simply about knowing Christ. It's about knowing the Lord. And that was Paul's pursuit. And, and the wonderful thing about that is we know we whatever we worship 
That is what we become like. And so there's a, in, a, in our pursuit of God and knowing him and our worship of him, we are being transformed without, a lot of times we don't even know that we're being transformed, but we are. You're a different person today than you were a year ago. If you've been faithful to, to read the Bible, walk with the Lord, express your love for him. And as you've worshipped him, he's done something in your heart. He's done something in your life. And so Paul is telling them, look, I'm not complete. I've still got a ways to go. I still lose my temper. I still have to overcome hatred for those who beat me. I have to deal with my attitude towards those who are undermining the work that God is doing through me. And so, you know, he's just being real. He's being honest. I'm not already perfected. I have not come to complete maturity. You need it, Paul, you're not mature as you are going to be? Well, you think about maturity, completion. You know, that it means his faith wasn't complete. You know, if you look at yourself as God's work of art, his, we're his work of art, the work of art, the work that he's doing in you and making you into what he, his, you're his workmanship, it's not over yet. And Paul realized this. And uh, I'm sure when he's saying this, the people are thinking, oh, wow, if Paul hasn't arrived, if he hasn't attained, what does that say about me? And so I think that's a good perspective for all of us. And I think it, you know, appreciate his humility. Pressing on. Now, this is where Wednesday night is sort of a proof for us, isn't it? <laughs> we're all beat. We're all tired. We've been working, you know, half the week. We're with the hump day, right? We're almost through the, through the work, halfway through the work week. And we're tired. But you, you come to church because you know you need to be built up. And this is what we're doing. We're pressing on. This is sort of what um, he's saying here. Because there's a zeal in your heart. There's a zeal in your spirit that you want to be like Christ. So, you know, I really don't, and I'm not passing judgment on people. It's just sometimes it's just where people are at. For And I'm going to preach to the empty seats here. For people just to think that once a week is sufficient for the public ministry of the word, because in our church here, it's not just the public ministry of the word that's important, but it's the private ministry. That's why we do what we do in the fellowship time. When you begin to interact within the body, and we realize we're members of one another, it changes things. And God uses this. The thing about Paul in using this word pressing on, he's, he, what he is saying is he has his zeal. And I think we have to pray for this. Paul had a zeal for spiritual growth. It's kind of like athletes, you know, they sort of get addicted to working out, they get addicted to, they just want to be the best they can be, so they just go for it. And that's the way Paul, he sort of transferred that into his, his spiritual walk and his spiritual ministry. And I think that's what we need to pray for. That I want to grow. I want to be more like. So there's three steps to it that he mentions here. 
What, what are they? Well, let me just read it again. But I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself ha- having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I think the first thing we is realize that we haven't apprehended. How many people are satisfied? Look, I know the Bible. I know theology. I know enough about the Bible. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm happy. Don't bug me. Don't bother me. Okay. You know, a lot of people don't realize what they're missing with that kind of an attitude, but that's present in the church today. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't want to be there. I don't really think it's that big a deal whether I be, I'm conformed to the image of Christ. So you realize that, one, you have not been completely transformed. There's still work to do in your life. Secondly, you haven't finished your job. You still have a job to do. The second thing you have to do is realize that you have to forget the past. Because I think the enemy uses our past as a club to beat us up, hurt us. Uh, You can get beat up because you fail. I mean, I think about, I still have scars on my mind from past sins of my youth. I'm not really necessarily talking about that, but even when you're trying to do what's right and you still fail, you tried the, your very hardest and it just didn't work out. And you just blew it. So failures are hard to overcome. But also successes. You have to learn to forget about successes in the sense that, wow, that was really cool. You know, that was such a high time. I, I really, wow, I, God just showed himself. And, you know, you want to kind of hang on to that memory and like, oh. You know, Paul learned to just put the past behind him. And then, of course, there's an, a third thing, I think, when you think about the past is your heart, is your, when you get your heart broken. And this could be linked to failure. But, you know, the, the older you get, you realize, what is life really about? It's really about relationships. You know, well, you know, I like doing stuff. I like projects. I like my work. I like my occupation. Well, that's good. That's, that's, a, that's a blessing from God. But what, the older you get, the more you're going to realize what's really important in life is the relationships that you have with your family members. And I think this is one of the most important things that we have to guard in our lives is the relationships that we have with one another. When there's failures and breakdowns there and our hearts get broken we hurt one another uh knowingly or unknowingly we have to we have to learn to be good forgivers and good forgetters in this area and it and it and we have to um not just let it slide uh these are we know that these are enemies these are devices of the enemy uh, hurt feelings and, and unforgiveness so um You know, we can let these successes, we can let these failures, we can let these heartbreaks become excuses. Well, you know, I just, I'm grieving right now. Been some problems in my life, and and so I've got a good reason to just slack off here, you know. Not a good idea. 
So we realize that we haven't completed what we're here for in ourselves and in the work that we're doing. We've got to learn to forget our past and we have to reach forward. What are your goals? What are you looking for? What do you want to do? What has God put what kind of vision has God put in your heart? that you know is from him, that's just been planted deep with him, you've been walking with him, there's some something in your DNA that causes you to just ask God, show me, reveal it to me. And you're pressing towards that because you know that God wants to use you. And this is what Paul's talking about. Neither do I count myself have, having apprehended. I I know that there's stuff for me to do. I've got to be about that. And at one point, at some point in time, God's going to show you that you finished your course. This is in Second Timothy. I finished the course. I fought a good fight. There's laid up for me. I know I did what God has called me to do, and I'm wrapping it up. My life is, you want to be able to get to that point and feel good about how you spent your time and energy. So you reach forward to the future goals. And then this whole idea of, needing to mature, growing in our faith. Do you, do you think maturity is something that we should seek when it comes to our faith? And I say, yes, absolutely it is. Some people measure their maturity by their knowledge of theology, and that is a gross mistake. When you learn theology and you don't have maturity, you be, actually become quite dangerous. Actually, that's why young pastors are, are can uh, they have all this knowledge and all this all these tools, you know, and and they can become like a you know bull in a china shop, <laughs> not a good combination, and you you can damage people with your insensitivity and your knowledge, because you, you actually. Th- think you know more than you do and you actually think you're the best judge of yourself so it can you just really can be a danger to people and to yourself so maturity is not measured by your knowledge of your theology it's measured by your actions it's measured by how you express God's love in your relationship to other people uh, whether they're saved or unsaved, and and my my uh, my love for the unsaved and working relationships was severely tested this. Well, I wouldn't say it was severely, but it was tested this week. I didn't do so well. I was angry. You know, I developed these things I want to say in my mind to them. I really want to slam them, and you know, just sort of. Tell them what I think. You know, tell them off. You know, just tell them exactly how selfish I think they are, you know. Like I've got the right to do that. And, of course, I didn't go that far. I just had it in my mind and I restrained myself. But I would still find myself not being as gracious as I probably should have been. So when we express God's love what we're doing in these relationships and we respond in a loving way rather than reacting in our own selfishness or out of our own selfishness, we're, we're demonstrating that we really do understand God's ways. 
that we uh, are not being controlled by our own selfishness. And so that's really maturity, that you're able to harness the natural inclinations of blasting people <laughs> and give grace. And, you know, the people who give grace the best <laughs> are those who've received the most. Because you can't give something you don't have. If you've received it and you've experienced it and you understand it, then you're going to give it. And what, you know, we just realize that generally, pe generally speaking, people are going to act selfishly and you're just going to have to learn how to deal with it. And so another way is the ideas that Paul is expressing here is pressing on. Like I said before, the idea of an athlete, a runner, just, you, it, I don't want to take another step, but I need to make another step. I want to finish this workout. I want to finish this race. And then you're striving to be the best you can be, striving to run the fastest and the hardest you can. And so as Paul looks back over this, what he what keeps him centered in this is that he's not relying upon his past. And it's so important that we don't set on our laurels. He isn't resting in the fact that he was a Jew. He's not resting in the fact that of being from Benjamin, being a Pharisee of Pharisees and his, his zeal for the law, he's not resting in any of that. And Lord, keep us from resting in our past heritage or accomplishments. In verses 17 through 21, that'll finish out the chapter. He realizes that we have a destination. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to that which may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. Think about this for a moment. God's desire and his capacity and willingness to extend grace to me is never less than my great need for it. He wants to give to me more than I'll ever need constantly if I'll just simply receive it. It's sufficient. You know, faith is not an intellectual thing as much as it is a spiritual work that's been done in my heart. Think about Abraham. I and mean, this is where our faith is really tested. You, you know, a lot of times when we have to wait on God... How long? I mean, David really nailed it, didn't he? How long, oh Lord? <laughs> I wonder how he said that. Like that or otherwise. Oh, I know, I always say it. Lord, really? How much longer? <laughs> we want our prayers to be answered. And a lot of times we find out what our faith is really like because in waiting, a lot of people just, they fade. They just I can't do this anymore. I'm done. 
I'm so done. But think about Abraham for a minute. He waited over you know, 25 years from the announcement that he was going to have a son and his faith grew stronger as he was waiting. This is why God waits sometimes in our lives. And all of us in this room have something in your life that you are waiting on God for. And it, it, waiting is probably one of the most difficult things that you and I have to do. But may we receive the grace to be able to wait in our, in, in, with an increasing faith. And a faith that's not necessarily in your head. It's not just head, it's not head knowledge. It's something that, it's just in your soul. Because I trust God for this. And I'm not throwing in the towel. I don't care what happens. I'm waiting on God because he said so. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, it's just, right? <laughs> and, you know, he says, following my example, as you have us for a pattern. And the idea here is God has used Paul as an example, a pattern. He's a, you know, what is a pattern? Oh, I really like that design. That's really a cool design. I want to repeat that. You know, we see that in Lattice. We see that in the, a lot of interior de- design. You re- it's just a repeated design. So God, God has this repeated design of he wants you and I to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was Jesus' testimony? Oh, boy. This will size us up. Jesus had this testimony. I do always those things that please the Father. Can you say that? Do you want to be able to say that? To want to and to say, as Paul, to have this zeal to pursue your spiritual maturity, to, to apprehend that which you've been apprehended for. This is the path that we're to seek. This is the right thing. This is not radical Christianity. This is, should be considered normal Christianity. This is what Paul taught. We, if we employ that in this day and age, you'll be considered a radical believer. You're just really, wait, you're a little strict. No, it's not that you're strict. It's just that you realize those things don't, they distract me from what I want to do. We think athletes are nuts. You eat like that? Oh, and you, oh, that, I mean, you sleep in a hyperbaric chamber? What? I mean, they do some really crazy things, and they avoid a lot of other things. I know this one athlete, he, no fried chicken ever touches his lips. Nothing wrong with chicken. It's the fried part. I mean, just certain disciplines, and we think, well, they're kind of fanatical. You're going to be considered fanatical if you adopt Paul's mindset, and it's okay with me. And I know, you know, I might come off a little weird sometimes, but I'm not, I I care about my spirituality. I know you care about yours too. And so the sincerity that we have towards that is what we're aiming at here. This is what we want for our lives. We want to know the Lord. We want to be like him. We want to love people. We want to see people come into the kingdom. I mean, man, you know, forever is an awful long time. And to think that people are going to spend their eternity separated from God is just just unthinkable, that pain. And I don't want to see people that I, I interact with go there. I don't want to see any of my relatives go there. 
nor do I want to see Christians who have so much talent and are gifted in such extreme ways to waste their lives with mediocrity. Getting caught up in things that do have no eternal substance to them, substance to them whatsoever. That that is really that's just that's just bad. You don't want that to happen to anyone. So with that focus, there is an end in mind. Just like the athlete has something, I'm doing this for a reason. I want to be a champion. I want to be this. Or it's a team sport, whatever. What's our end game here? What's going to happen? What is this for? Does it really matter? I mean, the atheist, it doesn't matter. Life is meaningless. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. We're going to be transformed. This lowly body is going to be completely transformed. There is coming a day. And what you do, you know, remember the verse in, in, in Revelation that says, their works do follow them. What you attain to in Christ, what happens to your inner man, you take with you. When you get to heaven, and we get to heaven, we don't start at zero. Like we're, we're born on the earth, we're, we're, we start at zero, right? You know, mommy, daddy, you know. <laughs> we don't know, we know nothing. <laughs> we learn. We started at zero, right? Start taking in all this sensory perception and, and then we grow. Well, spiritually speaking, whatever we've attained in Christ, that goes with us. This isn't for naught. That's why it's important to do as much as you can and learn as much as you can. So when you get on the other side, it's like you're just going to just one step and you're just off and you're really going to run there. (laughs) There'll be no physical, mental hang-ups. So seven rules of growth. I'll end with this. Person, I forgot where I got this, but... um, I don't know who to give credit to, but I I did. I'll just give it to you. A person who's born again starts a new life like an infant. So seven rules that promote good health. It's baby scan. (laughs) One, you need daily food. Take the pure milk of the word. Study it. Don't just have your devotional life. That's good. I push that hard. Do that. Read the Bible devotionally, but study it deeply. Look up the words. Meditate. Think it through. Mull it around. Fresh air. Pray. Pray often. What air is to the lung, prayers to the soul. Regular exercise. You know, what are we talking about there? Well, put into practice what you're reading, what you're learning. Adequate rest. Rest in what God is doing in your life. No need to strive. Clean surroundings. Yes. Avoid evil company. Whatever is going to weaken you spiritually. That's what we do. We avoid things that will defile. And then loving care. Be part of the church. Be part of the fellowship. Benefit from the public ministry of the word as well as the private ministry. We need both to grow. And this is, you know, sometimes people, and this is one of the things you can really pray for in our church as leaders, as God raises up leaders. Sometimes, you know, when you get out of Bible college, you think, well, you're called to lead. You don't really need all the stuff that you're telling everybody else. That is a gross error. We 
This is why the private ministry of the word is so important to pastors and to leaders. We have to mingle with the, the commoners. So condescending sometimes the attitude that leaders have. And even in Calvary Chapel. We, you know, I remember years ago going to a restaurant and a number of us from the from the fellowship went. We were all sitting around and carrying on. And I, rem- I knew the pastor of this other church and he had his little leadership group there and I kept getting this look from him like and I don't know that for sure I'm not going to judge him but I knew him well enough to uh, or I was acquainted enough with him to to know that I, I thought I knew what he was thinking and it really bothered me like why are you associating with those people like like I was having fun with my brothers and sisters, like there was something wrong with that, you know. You know, because in seminary you're taught to to, to not you know, to isolate. So you know, don't don't make yourself too vulnerable. You know, people can't handle it. Like they've got to look to you like you're not, you know, like them, and that you've got it all together. And I think the opposite is true. Paul never communicated that. Paul Paul shared his struggles, I believe. So be part of that loving care that should go on in the church and then periodic checkups. Examine your spiritual health. Are you doing okay? How are you guys doing? You doing all right? And be honest with yourself. So that's that's spiritual growth. We'll close with this little analogy here. This is from Charles Simpson. I'll just read it to you. I met a young man not long ago who dives for exotic fish in aquariums. He said that one of the most popular aquariums in the fish in the aquariums uh, is the shark. He explained that if you catch a small shark and confine it, it will stay the size proportionate to the aquarium. Sharks can be six inches long yet fully matured, but if you turn them loose in the ocean, they grow to their normal length of eight feet. And so this can happen to some Christians. I've seen some of the cutest little six-inch Christians who who swim around in a little puddle. (laughs) But if you put them in a large arena, into, into a whole creation, only then can they become great. So let God take you out of your little world, put you into the big sea, and grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that you truly would help us to grow, to mature, to become all that you desire us to be, Lord. We have not yet arrived. We've not yet attained, but we want to, Lord. And Lord, you're, as you said here, you're, you're in control. You're in control of everything that comes into our lives. You filter it all out. You're watching over us with great jealousy. And you are protecting us from what we can't handle and what we can handle. Thank you. But we want to grow. We want to be like Christ. And so we ask that you would protect us, Lord. We ask that you would keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.